This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Molecule, the world's first molecular air purifier that reduces symptoms for allergy and asthma sufferers. For $75 off your first order, visit molekule.com and enter the promo code FOOL. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Thursday, August 30th, and, well, we're here to talk about Tesla and walk you through the story of the last, let's call it three and a half weeks. I'm your host, Michael Douglas, and I'm joined by John Rosevere. John, great to have you back at the show. Thanks for having me, Michael. Fantastic. Okay, so before we get into the, the details and this sort of tell this story, I have a quick announcement about the Industry Focus lineup. So, um, I am leaving the team to pursue another opportunity at The Motley Fool, so this is my last live episode hosting Industry Focus. I've pre-recorded another pair of episodes that will air over the next few weeks as the team identifies how they want to handle things. But don't worry, it's not goodbye for forever. Uh, I'll still be around, and I anticipate uh, coming on from time to time to say hi, and if... um, you know, you have missed my particular brand of vocalized pauses and you know my ums. Then uh, don't worry, <laughs> you'll you'll still be hearing from me from time to time. All right, so let's head into the story. So on August seventh, Elon Musk tweeted that he had quote funding secured end quote to take Tesla private at four hundred twenty dollars per share in the days that followed. Well, the story got a little bit more complex. Yeah, it turned out that funding maybe wasn't so secured uh, or even close. And Tesla's board appeared to be taken by surprise. Uh, The Saudi Arabian Sovereign Wealth Fund that Musk was counting on uh, to be that secured funding was also taken by surprise. And and that set off a mad scramble. Uh, You know, Musk hired bankers. Uh, The board set up a special committee and tried to get some advice. Uh, Lawyers came in. What appeared to be a crisis management PR team came in. Uh, They were all set up to get a formal proposal. There never was a formal proposal. Uh, And then Musk called the whole thing off. Yeah, and and, and <laughs> yeah, which was a little confusing, I think, for all of us. Um, but uh, but then you know, sort of, he when he called it off, he basically said, "Hey, there are some reasons that we're we're not going to go with this." You know, number one, Tesla shareholders think the company is better off remaining public. Okay, fair enough. Um, and uh, it would have been very difficult for smaller shareholders, retail investors, folks like you and me, although I don't think either of us is a Tesla shareholder, uh, to participate in a privately held company. You know, usually there are fewer liquidity events and things like that, so it's not necessarily as easy to, um, you know, take take that money that you've invested, hopefully successfully, and that has hopefully made you more money and there, do something there are else. There also limits that. on how many people who are not, you know, big time investors you can have in a private company before. You start to have to make the filings that you would make every quarter if you were a public company. Even though you're a private company, you have to make those if you've got over, I forget, it's over 2,000 shareholders or over 300 or 500 people who are not accredited investors. Right. Some relatively um, small number of people, though. Right. And and this is all about, and, and this is seemingly what Musk wanted to get away from was making these quarterly reports. So Right. Um, of course, uh, as we were talking about beforehand, uh, some institutional shareholders have limits on how much that they can invest in a privately held company because, you know, institutional investors tend to be going for a kind of, you know, larger public companies, and so that would also have complicated things a little bit. Yeah, I can speak here as a former uh, Fidelity Investments person. Most of the Fidelity funds are have limits. You can't put more than, 
uh, 5% or 10% of assets in non-public companies and you can't hold more than a certain percentage of the companies and so forth. And it becomes this big compliance hassle. And, and you know, they have done some private placements or fidelity funds that hold shares of SpaceX, for instance. But, but it, it, I think he had some fund managers uh, who maybe hold some of the biggest positions in Tesla telling him, hey, I'm going to have to sell some. I can't go in with all of this. Right. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, as as Musk also noted, you know, the process of going private, as you've kind of alluded to, it's a pain. <laughs> it's not an easy thing. And, you know, he wants Tesla to remain kind of laser focused on production of the Model 3 and on becoming profitable. And, you know, this, while going private, perhaps, um, you know, you can kind of argue it both ways, but, you know, perhaps long term might help the company sort of better uh, focus um, at the same time, in the short term, it would be detrimental to that ability to focus because it would leave Tesla sort of doing all this compliance stuff and all this hassle and trying to figure out a bunch of different things um, that would um, make it a lot more difficult to kind of focus on those goals. Or at least that's what Musk said. Sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and and as I, I, I mean, I got up Saturday morning early. Uh, intending to go to the gym, saw all this, and was like, oh, no, i got to write an article. And one of the things I said in the article is, sometimes with Tesla, the real story is between the lines. Sure. Actually, often with Tesla, the real story is between the lines. So I started poking around a little bit into what really happened here. And and there were some signs that uh, maybe they couldn't get enough investors, uh, certainly at $420 a share. Uh, you know, the valuation was very, very rich, very, very rich. I mean, Tesla at three hundred dollars a share. Uh, many of us will say, mm, "That's that's that's uh, you know priced for perfection over the next fifteen years." <laughs> and 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 at this premium that he wanted, uh, and at the same time, you have other people saying, "Well, it's really worth three thousand a share or whatever." So uh, there's this wild discrepancy. But uh, uh, Charlie Gasparino of Fox Business News had had tweeted out a bunch of reports last Wednesday um, in the midst of all of this, saying he was hearing from bankers inside the negotiation that they were skeptical they could get 420 a share, or at least enough investors at 420 a share to actually do the deal. Gotcha. Uh, and and so that was that was that was a potential sticking point. It's possible they came to him and said, you know, we can do this. Uh, we do have more than enough funding to take it private at some lower price. But not enough interest at the price that you've promised people. Yeah, uh, and so obviously that's well <laughs> makes it difficult yeah. to make the deal happen. Right, right, right. It, it, you know, at that point you're going to say, hmm, "Well, maybe I got to back off this." <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, another possibility, and this is if you spend a lot of time reading uh, Tesla stuff on Twitter, as I unfortunately do. I don't say unfortunately because of those folks I read; it's because it sucks up a lot of time. Um, so, <laughs> time you could spend, you know, doing other things. Yeah, yeah, you yeah fair on enough. Twitter, I'm very appreciative for you, uh, and vice versa. And you know, it's it, it. You get the sense sometimes that that people think Tesla is hiding something. You know, why haven't they just? You know, Tesla's running short on cash. Why haven't they just done a, a follow-on equity offering? Why haven't they done a bond issue? And so there's speculation that well, maybe the SEC said next time you do that, you have to disclose something, and it's not something Tesla wants to disclose, uh, or or whatever, or uh, that there's some reason they can't do that. Uh, and you know, there's other things. Does Tesla really have 420,000 pre-orders for the Model 3? Uh, you know, are they are, are they rock-solid real pre-orders? Uh, there are a whole bunch of questions you can raise here where Tesla has sort of, uh, it seems like they've very artfully worded things to discourage further inquiry. And, you know, maybe that's just 
maybe that's just how Elon Musk talks about things. But but there is a possibility that something's being hidden here. And so you have to say any big time investor coming into this is going to do heavy due diligence. They're going to want to really dig into stuff and ask some tough questions. And if there is something that that Tesla fears, if it comes to light, will will tank its stock price that, that you know, it maybe it's possible that Musk said, once he realized the extent of due diligence that people were going to be doing, he said, mm, I think we got to back away from this, you know? Sure. And, and to be clear, uh, you know, we're not making any claims about Tesla, you know, being, uh, you know, untruthful or unforthcoming about things or anything like that. It's, it's merely a note that, you know, the due diligence is a distinct possibility that that was a, a thing that once you know must kind of thought I, about it, it could I'm be a problem. Reporting on what appears to be informed speculation. I mean, right. we don't have any real basis for saying anything like that. It's this is just a possibility that you know that if there is in fact something that Tesla would prefer not to disclose, that it might come up and would of course get leaked in this process because this process would likely be quite leaky. And even if there are things that you know are not fraud, but are, you know, confidential business details or whatever. They may have been concerned about leaks around that as well. And and it just may have been the case that once Musk really scoped this process, he said, I don't really want to go through it. Yeah. And, and I mean, the confidential business details, especially when you consider how many different uh, companies out there are working on developing uh, electric vehicles and, and things like that. You know, there's, there's a lot of reason to think that um, that some of that would be potentially useful for competitors and maybe something Tesla wouldn't want to go into. So so we'll head right into kind of what the <laughs> the now what if you will. But first a uh, a quick word from our sponsor. This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Molecule. Molecule is the world's first molecular air purifier that reduces symptoms for allergy and asthma sufferers. Molecule has introduced a breakthrough science that is finally capable of destroying air pollutants at a molecular level. Molecule makes a real difference for asthma and allergy sufferers and helps them better cope with their conditions and significantly reduce their symptoms. Now, one customer has reportedly said that after using Molecule in her home that she was able to breathe through her nose for the first time in 15 years, end quote. Molecule is easy to use and has a clean and sleek design. Um, I'll tell you, I've, I've used it personally. Um, as someone who has a lot of allergies, uh, I'm used to... Uh, <laughs> Carrying around, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of tissues and a lot of, um, and just you know, sneezing and blowing my nose a lot throughout the day. Um, but you know, with the molecule in my house, I definitely found that uh, my symptoms were really dramatically um, less, and that was a really nice thing to sort of feel like I could breathe easily, um, which is something that doesn't usually happen in a somewhat swampy part of Virginia in midsummer. So it was a really nice thing to see. Um, you know, for $75 off your first order, uh, visit M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E.com. That's molecule.com and enter the promo code FOOL. Again, that's M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E.com, promo code FOOL. All right. So let's let's turn to um, sort of the, I, I guess, let's call it the now what. Uh, with Tesla. Actually, before we go here, I want to say one last thing about yeah, sure. what we were talking about before. Uh, after the deal was called off in the reporting over the last few days, uh, the Wall Street Journal came out and said one of the one of the potential investors was Volkswagen. And it's possible that Musk said, geez, I don't want Volkswagen doing too much. <laughs> you know, <laughs> talk about uh, competitive issues. Uh, the, the, the Volkswagen, of course, owns uh, or controls Audi and Porsche, who are gunning for Tesla rather fiercely in the coming year or two. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's quite possible that, that he didn't want them anywhere near it. And once he started to realize that some of these investors might be giant global automakers, 
poking through his business, he might not have wanted to go there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, yes. So uh, anyway. <laughs> okay. with, with, Sorry to throw you off, Michael. No, 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 that's fine. So so with that in mind, then let's let's turn to kind of what the the, the now what, if you will, of this, um, which is that, you know, as Gasparino has has noted, um, you know, there there's certainly some possibility that Tesla might need a recapitalization if privatization plans fail. And you know what, basically, you know, Tesla's running low on cash, and it's possible that it may be blocked from raising more via equity or debt issues. Um, you know, they've got 2.2 billion in cash, but three billion in accounts payable, 1.8 billion in accrued liabilities, and really only 231 million remaining on their asset-backed credit line. So so there's reason to think that they're a little bit stretched for cash, let's say. Yeah, that was just at the end of the second quarter. And and after that got sort of played up in the press, uh, suddenly the Wall Street Journal got some access at Tesla where they disclosed that they'd made a $500 million payment on the credit line, which brought down their cash, but brought up their uh, available credit on the line. And they said they planned to retap that before the end of the quarter. And that might have just been about appeasing the lenders. <laughs> you know, yeah, I made a payment on my credit card, but now I'm going to go use it up. I mean, it was exactly that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they what they said is is that getting that 500 million back in their cash pile plus uh, what they anticipate as increased sales in the second half of the third quarter, they expect to end the quarter with more cash than they had at the end of the second quarter. But that said, I mean, they've got. Uh, ongoing expenses. They've got other products they want to bring into production. The semi. Uh, the Model Y SUV that may or may not be based on the Model 3. And they've got a big debt repayment coming at the end of February. Uh, they, they owe $920 million on a convertible bond issue. Uh, the clear conclusion is is that, well, I don't want to say the clear conclusion. Most analysts believe Tesla needs to raise a couple billion soonish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that's a... A legitimate concern. I mean, I'll, I'll throw out there as well that um, you know, <laughs> the tapping the equity markets is of course always an option. But one of the really key questions there is going to be, well, what happens with production? And uh, you know, we we you know, Tesla. There there have been Tesla leaks to uh, Electric, which, as you've noted before, is kind of their favorite outlet. Um, that they are still not. Quite making the five thousand per week Model Three production uh, timetable, and so that means that they're on pace to fall short of their production guidance, and that might make it a little bit more difficult to raise a lot of money through the equity markets if if investors basically see Tesla failing to deliver on its original goals. Yeah, that leak was kind of interesting. It was a piece that ran on on the blog Electric uh, earlier this week. That's Fred Lambert. It's the writer there who has a, some sort of close connection to Tesla, uh, and is often sort of when Tesla wants to say something, often they tell Fred, and Fred writes it up, or at least that's how it appears to the rest of us. Uh, this felt almost like Tesla was starting to walk back its guidance, and and that's an interesting thing to be trying to do right now. And and you know, okay, we 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 called off the go private. Uh, we're going to just go with whatever plan A was officially. This is what Tesla seems to be telling us. But now they're easing back on the guidance, and and you really have to wonder what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, sort of, all of this combines yeah. to to paint really an interesting picture for Tesla because I, I think in a lot of ways um, the company is in kind of show not tell mode, right? And yes. so I think people are, are really going to want to be seeing sort of what. They will ultimately show. Obviously, a walk back on guidance would be uh, big bad news. Um, but I, I'm curious, 
John, sort of what's your take on on Tesla? What should investors be thinking about going forward, and and what do you think we'll see over the next couple quarters? Again, all speculation, I recognize, but. I honestly don't know. I mean, you start to talk about recapitalization and, you know, what is that? Is that a placement where we we take in cash in exchange for shares priced at a discount, uh, as they did with Tencent last year? Is that where, we, you know, are we talking about a quick package trip to bankruptcy court? I mean, you know, I mean the implications here range in their level of direness uh, for investors from, yeah, there's some dilution, but we'll ride it out to, uh, boom, <laughs> you know, right. <laughs> Bankruptcy is not typically good for equity holders. I, and, and, and so it, it's hard to, and, and I don't want to say bankruptcy too loudly because we're not clear that's where they're going. Yeah. But, I think there's but, plenty but of reason to think that there the are point where yeah. you can see a path from current events to that. And perhaps the probability is not that high, but, but it's still something that, even if you were bullish on this thing, you've got to start thinking about it a little bit. And, and you know, Tesla's hardcore fans talk about, you know, oh, fear, uncertainty, and doubt, the fudsters, when everybody is skeptical and, you know, that's bad. And, and uh, I, I tweeted yesterday, if you don't have at least a little fear, uncertainty, and doubt right now, you know, you might want to get some. <laughs> because there, is, there, there are some, some paths from here that, that look a little worrisome if you're an investor. But that said, I mean, I, I've said for a long time that there is a profitable market for Tesla here. I mean, Tesla can probably hit sustainability somewhere between 1 million and 2 million vehicles a year. Mm. Uh, if they can keep things rolling and keep cash in the till and, and get this Chinese factory they've talked about actually into action over the next couple of years, sure, they could be sort of the sleek Silicon Valley alternative to BMW. Um, you know, the path from there to some of the things suggested by its valuation and some of the things that Musk maybe said a few years ago about, you know, 10 million cars a year, challenging Toyota as the world's largest automator, that, that path has never been very clear. But certainly, I mean, there is a path to sustainable profitability from here as well. If they can get through this cash squeeze, if they can get their production act together, if they can bring forth the SUV derivative, um, I don't think the Tesla Semi is so uh, important to the story. Um, I think, you know, finding, bringing forth the products that generate demand and then making enough high quality vehicles to satisfy that demand is what they need to be doing right now. Uh, and then at that point, once they've got that fixed then they can revisit sort of the energy story, which seems almost to have been put on the back burner right now, the solar panels and the power walls and things like that, that, that does seem to have been sort of ratcheted way down while they figure out, you know, how are we going to make Model 3s enough to get them to every customer who has signed up for one. Right. And and I'll say, I mean, my personal take on it is that that sort of ruthless prioritization makes sense when you're in a spot that, you know, you've your cash position isn't as strong as you'd like it to be and you are looking at likely ways to raise some more cash. I mean, you know, I'll say, you know, my, my background is biotech and so dilution is something I'm I'm <laughs> I guess I could say pretty used to, um, and I'll even say that um, you know I've seen plenty of companies in 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 much worse um, condition than Tesla. And by that, what I mean is you know they don't have any revenues at all. You know they're working on a phase two drug. They have to recapitalize a few times. You know that never you know almost never goes to bankruptcy. And so I 
I, I agree with your comment that, like, you know, listen, like, yes, it's on a spectrum of possibility, but it's a fairly unlikely possibility uh, right now, as far as we can tell. Um, but I do think that um, there's there's definitely reason to to think that Tesla's going to need to do something to recapitalize soon, and that we're really going to need to see them again, kind of show not tell when it comes to Model Threes. Uh, in particular, in these coming quarters. Yeah, there's one other variable too here, and for most Tesla shareholders, this is something they've never had to actively consider. Autos are cyclical. Tesla's going to be just as cyclical. <laughs> you know, I mean, Tesla's going to be a cyclical automaker, like, like you know, its larger peers, like BMW, is, is subject to the cycle. If we have a big economic downturn and demand falls, um, as it will eventually, when that happens, nobody knows, but as it will eventually. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that depending on where Tesla's cash is, where its new products are, where its factories are, uh, that could be a very troublesome situation too. But that's out in the future. But it is going to be something that when it happens is going to be, I think, a big surprise for a lot of Tesla's younger retail shareholders who have maybe never really thought about the car business as cyclical because, you know, Tesla went public kind of coming out of the last downturn. That's true. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that's a thing that a lot of people are going to have to deal with in a lot of different companies just because, you know, we've been in a, you know, nearly decade long bull market at this point. You know, at some point that turns. And when right. that and happens, it's, it's just. That companies like Ford and General Motors are starting to talk about more loudly. And they have, you know, $20 billion plus cash reserves uh, intended specifically so that they can roll through the next uh, downturn uh, if their profits get squeezed and, and still keep you know, developing the new vehicles. And, you know, Tesla doesn't have a whole lot of margin right now. Uh, When the downturn happens, where are they at in terms of cash, in terms of new products, in terms of their factories and so forth? Those those will start to be big questions. And those aren't questions now, but those questions are out there. And it's something else shareholders should be thinking about because it's very late in the cycle. This has been going on a long time. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. A, lot of, a lot of question marks for Tesla. Uh, and yeah. I, I think it's fair to say, John, that that's probably one of the many reasons, along with valuation and a few other things, why, why you and I are both not shareholders uh, as of right now. But um, with that in mind, of course... There are plenty of arguments to to make on behalf of Tesla, and if you head to fool.com, you'll find plenty of articles on both sides of the, I would say, pretty long-running debate. Uh, certainly, John's <laughs> weighed in a few times, and we've had a number of people who weighed in on uh, with a variety of viewpoints. So check it out there. There's a lot of good stuff there, and you know, I think the most important thing that that highlights is how important it is to talk with. Uh, you know, collect a lot of different viewpoints. Talk with a lot of people who, who who think differently from you to really try to get to sort of the best nuanced understanding of any company. Because when people say a company's going to uh, going to the moon uh, or that it's you know going to just fall apart, um, often there's a lot more nuance to that, and there are a lot of different possibilities. And really understanding and weighting that um, and thinking about those risks are really important for understanding how to best invest. So with that in mind, that's it for this week's Energy Industrial Show. Questions or comments? You can always reach us at industryfocus at fool.com. As always, people in the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. This show is produced by Austin Morgan. For John Rosevere, I'm Michael Douglas. Thanks for listening, and Fool on. Fool on.